everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pink Cloud Nine Vodcast. How is everybody doing this fine Friday? I'm so excited. It's almost the weekend. Well, as you know, we have the one, the only, the amazing second time guest to the show, author Donald Firesmith. Hey, Hi, everybody. Hey, I'm so excited that today you're going to speak about the realism in speculative fiction. Please tell us all that you are here to present. This is so exciting. I'm very, very, very ready. Okay. Um, I think what we'll do first is, uh, okay, give you just a little bit of information of, oh, geez. It's okay. You want to try to start over? I screwed up, but I didn't know what to do. We're already, we're live. We're live, oh, live. There's no okay. starting over here. This is the this is the the way things go in live uh, video. Yeah. Okay, so who am I? I write uh, speculative uh, fiction novels and short stories. I have a background in engineering, which helps me make some of my stories more realistic than they would be otherwise. Uh, I've spent like 40 years developing really large complex uh, software intensive systems. I've even been uh, named a distinguished engineer by the Association of Computing Machinery. And in my spare time, I make handcrafted magic wands. So that's who's going to be talking today. So first of all, what is speculative fiction? It's basically any fiction where the setting is not the real world. It's something other than the real world. And that includes science fiction, fantasy, paranormal, and some horror. Not all horror. Some horror would be, for example, a psychopathic killer that happens in the real world. I'm talking more about monsters here, that kind of thing. So what kind of world is it if it's not the real world? It could be the future, it could be an alternate past like in steampunk, it could be an alternate universe, it's, it can happen in space, it can have magic, it can have monsters, it could be based on mythology, it could be anything just so long as it's not real. Yeah. So now what is realism? Right. Basically it's anything, person, place, thing, setting, situation, that conforms to the real world, either as it is in reality or as it could be. In other words, it doesn't violate the laws of physics or, you know, something of that nature. So we're talking about two things that are quite different. Speculative fiction, which is not the real world, and realism, which is the real world. And it's really a defining characteristic that you see mostly in hard science fiction. Uh, if you ever saw the movie uh, The Martian, where the guy gets uh, uh, stuck on Mars and the book, uh, that's very hard science fiction because it just is the way it might be in the real world if we actually went to Mars. Yeah. Okay, so whenever you're doing speculative fiction, since it doesn't take place in the real world, you have to make the reader suspend their disbelief. In other words, they have to buy in to what you're writing, even though what you're writing isn't real. At least while they're reading it, 
they got to accept that it's real. So if you're writing fantasy, while you're reading it, you got to believe that magic is real. Mm. Um, but what you want to do is you want to take the parts of speculative fiction that aren't real. Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry, the parts that are not the speculative parts. In other words, the real parts of the fiction, you want them to be as realistic as possible because it makes the, the unbelievable stuff more believable. It makes the magic more believable if the, uh, the rest of it uh, is uh, realistic. Okay. And this is useful for all types of speculative fiction, not just science fiction. So, like I said here, if you keep the real parts real, it helps the reader suspend disbelief, it helps them enter your alternate speculative reality as an author, whatever you're writing, and it avoids what I refer to as jarring mistakes. Sometimes when you're watching, for example, a science fiction movie, and you see something on the screen that makes absolutely no sense, it's not the way it would be, it jars you out of enjoying the movie because you're thinking of how they screwed it up. <laughs> so what you really want to do is you want to avoid that. And it basically is there to make the speculative parts more believable and therefore more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So how do you achieve this realism? There's basically four ways. It's all about research. You can either go on the internet and look up the information you need to make something real. You can read books and magazines. When I started writing umpteen zillion years ago, <laughs> it was the library and the card catalog. We didn't have, you know, uh, Google and all this wonderful stuff back then. Now it's super easy. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can gain uh, experience in whatever the topic is. Um, or you can use past experience that you might already have in that topic. Okay. And then the last thing you can do is you can find some subject matter experts, somebody who understands it, who can explain it to you. So those are basically the four different ways you can get the information you need to make your fiction more believable to the reader. Okay. What I'm going to use is I'm going to use my Hellhole series of uh, alien invasion novels as my examples. So when I talk about these different things, I'll point out different places that I did that sort of thing in the, my book. The basic idea behind this series is that demons aren't mythological. Demons are actually space aliens. And hell isn't a place down below. Hell is actually the planet that these aliens that are invading us uh, come from. It's hard science fiction. Mostly, all uh, a lot of the books are, are based on hard science. And also, book three especially, is military science fiction. So there's a lot of military things going on, which naturally have to be made realistic. So let's start with the first one, searching the Internet. Google is your friend. Googling the topics, Googling the, uh, the images. Uh, Part of the first book takes place at Pump Station 2 along the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. I googled it, I got pictures, I read all about it. A lot of uh, book 3, some of book 4, take place at Eielson Air Force Base. So I went on their website and I checked out a lot of stuff about them. Learned lots of things on uh, different kinds of military vehicles that were in the books. 
I decided we needed to use a nuclear weapon in book um, three to take the war to the aliens. So we're going to uh, blow them up. Well, I could research about nuclear bombs. It's amazing what you can find out about things on the Internet. So <laughs> I did a lot of stuff just with Google. The other thing is, book two is called Demons on the Dalton. The Dalton is a highway from um, Dead Horse, Alaska, down to Fairbanks. Okay. Google Maps gives you street views. I actually drove the Dalton Highway in Google Street Views, the part that uh, was in my book. So I could actually see it and, and make it much more realistic that way. <clears throat> Wikipedia is wonderful. Yep. Lots of articles in Wikipedia about anything that you'd ever want. I looked up uh, military vehicles. Also, YouTube. Uh, in book four, uh, I have the main character being a slave on the demon homeworld. And he's a field slave and has to pick cotton. There are videos on YouTube all about what it's like to manually pick cotton. So, for, for example, the other thing you can do is read books and magazines. <clears throat> I have a lot of information in book four about gladiatorial combat, slavery, and Nazi Germany. These two are all different things in the real world that I uh, took you know, ideas from for my book four. And so I was able to read up lots of useful information and make that part of book four much more realistic than it would have been otherwise. Popular science. The whole idea of this series came from these huge holes that showed up in Alaska. And I read about those in popular science uh, uh, magazines back in uh, 2014 thought it would be a great idea for stories, and that's where this whole series came from. Cool. Read about uh, permafrost and uh, the climate crisis was all taken part in these books. Third thing, I use my own experience, personal experience. Mm -hmm. In gladiatorial combat, I have the main character fighting aliens with different numbers of arms and things like that. Well, I was a member of the Society for Creative Anachronism. I've actually done medieval combat in armor, you know, with sword and shield and things like that. So I used my experience there to make that part more realistic and believable. Mm. I've done lots of work with the military over the last 20 years. I've been on many military bases. I've been in meetings uh, with military people. I used that background as well for meetings and, and the writing about Eielson Air Force Base, for example. And then there's just lots of movies and TVs and videos about anything, and I found the right ones. For example, I had a major character die in one chapter of book four, and the character dies in childbirth. So one of the things I did is I looked up every movie and every TV episode where someone died in childbirth to give me ideas on how to make that work. Yeah. Makes sense. 
visiting locations. My son, uh, one of my sons, went to school at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I went up there for his graduation. I used that as an opportunity to research. So uh, I looked at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. That Part of that was in book one. I actually drove in real life parts of the Dalton Highway up to the uh, Yukon River. Mm. I did, in fact, go to Isleson Air Force Base. I had the base historian spend half a day showing me every part of the base that ends up in books three and books four. So all of that, I mean, I have actual uh, building names and, and I've got pictures and stuff like that. So all that's very realistic. And the last thing, the aliens have their hell holes in permafrost. And there's a tunnel that goes between the, the interplanetary portal and the hell hole that goes through the permafrost. Mm. I visited an actual tunnel through permafrost and it allowed me to, to put in interesting details. Permafrost has a very distinctive smell. I was able to describe that. And the only way I knew it was because I actually went through uh, the the tunnel. And then cool. it's cool to actually have uh, experts to help you out. Yeah. Since this involved uh, geology, I contacted the geologist up at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Extremely helpful, giving me lots of useful information. It's good. I have military advisors, even though I've got a lot of experience working with the military, I've never served myself. So I had um, about three or four different people who were like colonels in the military, and I had uh, people, uh, one person, for example, works, uh, has experience building one of the types of military aircraft that I put into the book. So I talked to that person. And he gave me lots of useful information. And then um, I mentioned that uh, I was having my main character as a slave picking cotton. Yeah. My mother actually, uh, as a uh, young girl, uh, picked cotton by hand during um, the Great Depression. Yeah. And she wow. told me lots of stories of what it was about and how it would make your hand feel and how hard work it was dragging the sack, you know, down the rows and stuff like that. Wow. And then I have, for my uh, books, I have anywhere between 10 and 15 beta readers who read it and give me uh, constructive criticism before I actually publish the books. Yeah. And you're, you'd be amazed at what some of these readers uh, know. Um, not so much in the Hellholz books, but I was writing a short story recently, and one of my beta readers was a doctor, and uh, I had a medical thing in there, and we were able to talk about this medical procedure in detail, and she, you know, made what I wrote much more believable. Now, not every reader is going to realize just how real these things are, but my experience is that when the real parts of the book seem believable, seem real, it's so much easier to accept the fantastical 
you know, amazing parts of the book. Absolutely. So, basically, it's a valuable thing. It takes time and effort to do the research, but it's interesting and you learn some stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier to do now than it used to be. So, that's basically, in a nutshell, why I think realism is important in works, uh, books that are very unreal by their very nature. And hopefully you learned something. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I mean, it's like you lived your book before and during the publishing of it. You know, right. and I really appreciate that. And, and right. that's what people should be, that's what authors, no, no, I mean, some authors, as if you want to, you should do that if you can, you know, travel to the locations, yeah. talk Not with the experts. Not everyone can do everything. Some things are right. expensive. Some things are harder. Yeah. But there's a lot you can do. The internet is so wonderful sure. uh, as a way to, to learn things. Yeah, Absolutely. Speaking to experts, yeah, that that's that would be fun for me to do. I'll do One like thing I found, you shouldn't be afraid of contacting experts that you don't know. Mm. A lot of times experts, whether they're military, science, uh, engineering, whatever, they're proud of what they do. Yeah. And they're often very happy to talk to you about what uh, uh, they do. Yeah. And if you tell them, you're trying to get it right... They're often very happy to help you get it right. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to be accurate. You know, it is. You're you're absolutely correct. I totally agree with you. Thank you so much, author, speculative fiction author, Donald Firesmith. You are amazing, and I love it when you come on the show. So please come on back. So um, thank you so much everyone for watching and listening to the pink cloud nine podcast it has been so informative thank you thank you thank you have a wonderful weekend bye